the community, including the non-Christian community, was so excited to have something like this for the kids in their community. Like they can't get away from the fact it's Christian. It says it right everywhere. The cross is part of our logo. And so we ran this fundraiser. Kurt, have you ever tasted a $3,000 pie? What is the heart of camp? It's not about having fun. It's not about the horses, as much as we love riding horses. It's not about being the cool person on the staff team or whatever the case is. Every decision we make has to be looked through the grid. Is this going to keep them safe? And is it going to facilitate having conversations about Jesus Christ? I love taking a bad horse hoof and making it good, a broken horse hoof. But that type of thrill of saying, hey, your horse is no longer lame. We fixed the issue and the bone is back in place or whatever the case is. That thrill with that is nothing compared to seeing a young person go from, I think I need to end it all because it hurts too much, to saying, you know something? I just want everybody else to know what I found and to know who this Jesus is that I found. Hey all, welcome to episode 10 of the Farmers of Faith podcast, a place where farmers can share what God has done and is doing in their farm, their family, and their life. Today, Aaron joins us to share a bit of his story, as well as what God is doing through High Prairie Wilderness Camp, a horse wilderness camp in Alberta where kids can ride the trails, sleep in teepees, eat food cooked over a fire, forget about their phones, make new friends, and most importantly, come to know about Jesus and sit under the teaching of His Word. I really appreciated Aaron's perspective on the unification of one's vocation and ministry, as well as his passion for the discipleship of his staff. Please enjoy. Today we have with us Aaron. He's the director of High Prairie Wilderness Camp, which we're going to learn all about in this episode. Uh, Hey, Aaron, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Kurt. I know, you know, distance nowadays is made a lot smaller with phones and stuff. So yeah, it's really, really great to be here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm really glad that this phone is working. <laughs> not not going to lie, yesterday evening I was doing some trial stuff. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to make this work. But <laughs> lo and behold, here we are. I have a few icebreaker questions to just spring on you here. Is that okay? Yeah, go for it. Okay. So first one is country music, yay or nay? I'd have to say yes, but I'd have to put a qualifier in there. Okay. Not all country. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, and bluegrass music, a lot of bluegrass music. So, Do you play anything? Yeah, actually, I, I play piano. I grew up playing piano and, oh. and learned kind of the Southern gospel style, ragtime, a little bit of improv jazz type stuff. Oh, yeah. And then I used to play violin a bit, but oh. life got in the way of music a bit. So I ended up having to stick with the mandolin and guitar and, and violin kind of slipped to the side a little bit. Hokey, Donna, you do a bit of everything. Well, that's kind of what I started out as. And then as I got older and life happened, I, I couldn't do it all. So Yeah, fair enough. So mostly guitar, like for church and stuff. Now I play guitar and, and camp, of course, guitar. I mean, what do you do at wilderness camp, right? It's, it's right. guitar. So. Yeah, can't haul a piano with you. It's it's pretty tough. Those horses look at you real cross-eyed if you come out with a baby <laughs> grand. And you're going to put what on my back? Yeah, no, thank you. Okay, second icebreaker question here. What is the difference between a cattle farmer and a cattle rancher? Well, I'm going to step on someone's toes either way I go, huh? 
I, I would say I would say some of it is in the mindset. I, when I think farmer, I think grain. And so a lot of mm-hmm. guys around here, they do mixed operations and they'll say, oh, I'm a farmer. Oh, yeah, I run mm-hmm. a few cows and we've got, you know, six quarters that we that we do grain on. And I think rancher, I think someone who's pretty much only cows and they grow their own feed. And they're usually the ones who are wearing the cowboy boots and the cowboy hat, regardless of the weather or the time of year. Yeah. Whereas the farmers would tend to be out in their work boots or running shoes, and they're wearing a ball cap. <laughs> I think you summed it up perfectly. That's like you say; it's almost like a mindset of it all. Yeah, the the ranchers, a lot of the hardcore ranchers, they tend to be a lot pickier with their dress. They wear their wild rags. They have their belt buckles. They wouldn't be caught dead outside of Wrangler jeans, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And and the farmers tend to be. I mean, you can you can show up and and he may have four or five hundred head of cows over somewhere feeding on grazing lease, but it's summertime mm-hmm. and we're seeding, and he'll hop out of his tractor in a t shirt, pair of shorts instead of running shoes. Like that's a farmer rancher. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> it's got to be the jeans and the collared shirt and the boots and the hat. Eh? The folks I work for up this way. Uh, if I ever called them cattle ranchers, they would look at me so funny. Around here, you're a cattle farmer. Yeah, yeah. yeah I th- and I think part of it's due geographical, right? Like, and I'd say mm-hmm. also the ranchers would tend to be the ones to be a little more involved with rodeos. Their kids are barrel racers, and and you know, and that's yeah. really really broad, right? Like, there's going to be a lot of farmers that might listen to this and say, "Well, no, we're we're farmers, but our kids are in the rodeo, and we have horses and stuff." And then I'd have to right. ask, "So, are you a farmer or a rancher?" No, uh, then yeah. they'd get their, their gopher shooting guns out then. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we like to have a little bit of controversy here on farm. Yeah. <laughs> when I, so. I was joking, I think I told you this, I was joking with Miles. I got your contacts through my brother, Miles, and I was joking with him that, man, I just can't track down any farmers to talk to on the podcast now i have to start delving into the cowboys oh dear <laughs> would you consider yourself a, a cowboy i i wouldn't consider myself a cowboy uh, i have a brother austin who's definitely a cowboy his his job is is riding the range on the douglas lake ranch oh okay so that's that's cowboy that's cowboy you know i'm a farrier professional farrier by trade so shoeing and trimming horses I ran my own business doing that until my knees gave out, graduated from Oklahoma State Horseshoeing School. Okay. So definitely, you know, I've worked on ranches. I've done a bit of range roping, you know, work with cows. So as far as cowboy goes, I mean, I don't wear a cowboy hat all over the place. And I do have a set of cowboy boots, but I also wear hiking shoes a lot. You know, when I was working as a farrier, I wasn't the guy that jumped out of my truck and a set of cowboy boots and a cowboy hat to go and shoe the horses. I wore a cap and steel-toed work boots because once a horse puts their foot on yours and then turns to twist to look at the dog, (laughs) you quickly learn that, you know, just wear a set of steel toes. (laughs) I know so little about the world of horses. So when I found out that you were a farrier, I I started looking at youtube videos of about it all like oh man, yeah and that's a world unto itself all of the details and things you need to know and whatnot yeah yeah it's i i find it fascinating i actually teach now i, I wrote a book and and i travel and teach clinics so that horse owners can learn how to trim on their own and and a lot of dyed in the wool farriers will say wow you can't you can't do that in two days you can't teach people how to trim in a, in a weekend clinic and i'm like well no it's it's true i'm not teaching them to be farriers but we've developed a system of teaching where even the students are surprised at how much they can learn in two days like they walk out of there going, i would never have imagined i could learn that much hmm. and it's the average horse owner i believe can learn to just you know do some basic trimming to keep their hooves from going completely destroyed until a, a real farrier can get there but uh, you're right kurt there there is a ton 
of stuff. And as soon as a farrier tells you that they know everything there is to know about farrier work, stay away from him because he probably is doing something wrong. <laughs> if you're around horse people very much, you'll find out that every single horse person is right, even if every <laughs> single one of them has a slightly different opinion on something. Yeah. If you ever show up on a farrier podcast or, or interview, let me know and I'll listen to that thing <laughs> inside and out for sure. <laughs> Like I, I wish we could talk uh, about it for twenty more minutes. It, oh yeah, no. Well, next year we're looking at releasing our our farrier clinic in a set of videos. It's probably about ten hours worth of video that people oh, will be okay. able to download. So oh, not nice. as fun as a podcast. It's just going to be a lot of information, very very compact and concentrated. But uh, that'd be one way to get it, I guess. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, we've probably piqued a few guys' interest. I'm sure. I, I was plotting out the points on Google Map of some of the places that you told me you lived. Mm-hmm. Man, you've been all over, even in your growing up. And then you had mentioned to me that you were working at some camps early on in life. Yeah. Like, so you, let's dive into that a little bit. Where were you born and where did you grow up and whatnot? Yeah. So I was born in Prince George, British Columbia. That's kind of more north of center. And uh, mom and dad were living at Nest Lake Bible Camp at the time. Dad was the maintenance director out there. Okay. And so I was kind of born right into the whole Bible camp world, right, right from day one. You, you could say like, I was born for this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was born for this. I was born into it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so eventually then your dad went to take on a job at Caribou School of the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. So after Prince George, he took a few years uh, out of the ministry, moved down to Pitt Meadows, down lower mainland, did construction work down there. But God okay. called him back into the ministry again with Canadian Sunday School Mission. Well, mm-hmm. I, it's One Hope Canada now. I still have a hard time getting One Hope Canada across my lips because my yeah. default and all the missionaries I knew and all the Bible camps I knew at the time were all CSSM, and that was the conferences we went to. So mm-hmm. he got they got called back to CSSM, Canadian Sunday School Mission, One Hope Canada, out to Caribou School of the Bible, which was really formative. That was some formative years for me. You know, I was six when we moved out there, and... It was a very rustic Bible school. It was set along, you know, out along a field way out, you know, I don't know what it, I can't remember what it was, 50 kilometers out of town, out of the town west of Quinnell, back okay. kind of getting into the Caribou Mountains a bit. You know, everything, all the buildings were log buildings with wood stoves, you know, for heating. The The main student building with the gym and everything was all heated by wood. Oh, wow. uh, everything was made out of logs. You know, it was the type of place where, where you know, students would come for two years and it was just a straight Bible program for two years in modular courses. Oh, okay. And they had a fantastic Bible school program. And as far as growing up as a kid, great place to be. We played hockey, floor hockey on Friday nights with the Bible school students, soccer on Saturday nights. There was a big ice rink outside that dad would flood that we skated on every day as kids growing up and sometimes played hockey with the students and stuff. So really neat place there. Quick question, is that school still around? or No, it's, oh. sadly, it closed down. I don't know all the details. I was in my later teens when it happened, but for whatever reason, I don't know the details. Oh, it yeah. eventually ended up closing its doors. Very, very sad, though. Very, yeah. very sad. Yeah, that sounds like an amazing place. Oh, it was fantastic. So from there... You moved again, I guess, right? For your later yeah. 13 years? Yeah. So we were there. We left the Bible school when I was 10, and then we moved closer to Quinnell, about 15 minutes out of town instead of almost an hour. We lived up by Bushy Lake. It's a, a lake just west of Quinnell. And I uh, grew up running around in the bush there, started working for neighbors when I was about 11. And so we still had a lot of contact, though, with the Bible school. And a lot of formative stuff came from being with the Bible school students, having them in our home, having the teachers over, you know, they'd come over to our home for lunch, you know, on Sunday afternoon and that kind of thing. So Mm. 
definitely a lot of influence from that school and just the lifestyle that was kind of entailed with that Bible school. Hmm. So the Christian faith was just kind of woven throughout your growing up years and infiltrated every part of your life, hey? Pretty much. I I would say that's pretty accurate, yeah. Hmm. Did you just gravitate towards the faith, or what did things look like as far as your relationship with Christ as, as you grew up? Ooh, that's a good question. Well, I gave my life to Christ when I was eight. Eight to 14, just living life, doing school, carrying on, going to church. Always having a surrounding of that, again, mm-hmm. with the Bible school students, the Bible school teachers and stuff was always there. So it was always seen as as walk with God is the most important thing. Because I mean, here's all these students that are, you know, a number of years older than me, they're, they're paying to come to Bible school. Obviously, it must be important to them. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a time that I remember where I was like, you know, I'm not going to be a Christian. This isn't for me. This doesn't make sense. It was always, this is just understood to be the way that life should be. This is the only way that really makes sense. I remember even at 15, 16, reading, you know, different books about cults and different religions and different faiths and Roman Catholicism and stuff like that. And and just seeing like, none of this is making sense. Like if, if we were to jump ahead a little bit, even to my later teen years and just, you know, these questions about life that come up, like, what am I even here for? You know, like what's, what is the purpose Whatever I'm going to actually believe and stake my life on has to make sense. It has to be mm-hmm. something that can be sequentially thought through and say A plus A plus A equals B. You know, like it has to work. Mm-hmm. So as you're hitting those mid-teen years is when the rubber starts hitting the road and your worldview really starts being evidenced by your actions and your belief system. And for me, if it wasn't going to make sense, then what's the point? Hmm. But I thank God that my family, they weren't ramming religion down our throats. It was around us because of the Bible school and stuff. And so it gave me a lot of opportunity to actually look and say, does this make sense? So, Hmm. you know, say, what was my relationship like with God? I would say from about the time I was 14 on, I would say was very much more of a deliberate, I feel that the Christian faith is the only logical answer that I have to life's questions and difficulties and and what's going on. And I mean, growing up as a missionary's kid, I remember when there was five, six kids in the house, mom and dad would be making five or $600 a month. And that's not a lot of money, even back then. And yet God always provided everything. And Mm. so it would have been really hard for me to turn around and say, there is no God after growing up in a lifestyle where if there wasn't a God, we wouldn't have made it, Mm -hmm. right? So I would have had to go against reason, and go against my own life experiences to say, oh yeah, there's no God. He doesn't care. When all my life I saw over and over again that he actually did care. Mm-hmm. And I'd have to make a deliberate choice against logic to say there is no God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you're a teenager, and yep. you had mentioned to me as we were uh, emailing back and forth before, you said your dad really wanted each of you kids to put in a few weeks at Bible camps as, as a staff. So did that get you into the camp world, like as far as yeah. working at camps and whatnot? Yeah. So believe it or not, I never attended camp as a camper. Really? Uh, and some people might, yeah, you said that's the reaction I get every time. <laughs> I was <laughs> I just going to say, some people that. don't believe that. Yeah. So, so I'd never attended camp as a camper. It just wasn't one of those things. But dad wanted all of his kids to work as staff at camp. And so from, you know, as soon as we were about 17 or so, dad would, you know, help us line up a, a local CSSM camp that we could go to. And so by the time it was my turn, 
I went to work at Lake of the Trees Bible Camp under Tom McIntosh. was kind of where I, I cut my teeth on, on working at Bible Camp. Went as a cabin assistant for my first for my first summer. Okay. And that dipped your toes into the world of, of working at camp and whatnot. It did. You know, there were some things I really liked about it. There were some things I really found hard about it. There was some culture mm-hmm. shock stuff. Like, I was, I was homeschooled all the way up. And then when you all of a sudden go to camp, you know, your own peer group is talking about stuff that they learned in the hallways and in the playgrounds of the public school that mom and dad may not have wanted us to necessarily know about, uh, for sure, you know. And so there was some of that learning going on. But honestly speaking, it was a really good stretching experience. And it it really worked on my heart. I I went into camp with a little bit of, maybe I should say a lot, of just I really want to come and, you know, I'm going to do the best job possible. I want to be one of the, you know, lead staff and, you know, a lot of pride mixed in there. And I quickly learned that I had to start from ground zero. And hmm. my first summer was kind of tough with that. The next time, next summer when I went back, it's like all of a sudden my perspective shifted and I was able to see God working. And I'm not exactly sure how it happened, but I had such a major perspective change as like camp is camp is where I'm supposed to be. Hmm. And so those two summers or parts of two summers at Lake Latrice Bible Camp is is really what formed inside me. This is what I'm going to be involved with. And, and going forward, camp is going to be a part of what I do. Hmm. So you get this fire lit in your heart for camp, but somewhere in there, you found some time to go to school to, to become a farrier? Yeah. So I actually, when I was 19, the family moved to Salmon Arm oh, okay. that same summer. So in 2006... Uh, I went and worked at uh, Segatawa Trail Rides, which is a Bible camp up north of Dawson Creek, BC, which was a wilderness horse camp. And that's where I kind of started seeing horses and ministry getting mixed. And so Mm -hmm. did that for a few years. 2010, worked at Blue Brana, and that's where I started helping a farrier. They had a farrier on staff. And that's where I really was like, hey, this is something I could enjoy and do and be involved with ministry, be involved with camps, camp need farriers. I can go to school for this and... Then I went to school for it. Okay. Okay. So it took a few years to get me there. Yeah. And and it's not like it was completely out of left field. It was sort of meshed in with horse camp and Yeah. So so at this point in life, is there almost like a almost like a plan B type of thing of, of well, I can make a living as a farrier. Oh, 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 oh boy, you're getting into the complicated part of life here now, oh, Kurt. We should oh. skip over this because I'm sure no one wants to hear it. <clears throat> yeah, no, life was always rosy, always stayed with one plan and it worked out perfect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as life does, so, yeah. Yeah, as, as life always does for everyone, all the time, everywhere. So, mm-hmm. yeah, so I guess by 2010, I'd graduated uh, with my three-year Bachelor of Biblical Studies from PRBI. And, of course, three years of Bible school really put me in a place where I knew that ministry was going to be part of my life. But I was developing a slightly different understanding of ministry and not to step on people's toes, but a lot of times people see ministry as a career, and mm-hmm. either I'm a lawyer or I'm a pastor or I'm a truck driver or a farmer or I'm in ministry, and it's like there are those and there are these, and mm-hmm. the those and the these don't necessarily cross over. In my mind, ministry should be a lifestyle, mm-hmm. and so a life should be centered around a ministry. Whether you're a full-time mechanic, well, you could be helping teach Sunday school on Sundays maybe a board member in your church or helping with music or sitting on a camp board or something like that. Mm-hmm. But ministry is a lifestyle. It's not a, well, I'm a mechanic. You're the missionary. 
So you do this full time and get paid if I so choose to give you money. Uh, and if I don't, God will just take care of you. But I'm a mechanic, uh, and therefore I don't need to do ministry because that's the pastor's job. Hmm. And so in my mind, it was very much, I knew God was calling me into ministry, but as I was looking around, especially in smaller communities, there was a ton of ministry that needed to be done, a ton of work that needed to be done, discipleship and training and church work and everything else. Mm -hmm. But you still have to put food on the table, and and ministry is not the place to go to get rich. Yeah. (laughs) Uh And so what I started doing was looking at Farrier, you know, it was needed for camps. Wilderness camps was definitely a passion of mine. You know, wilderness camps need Farriers, and, and Farrier can be expensive if you have 20 horses to shoe at 120 to 150 bucks a pop, that gets expensive for mm-hmm. the camp. So what would be more ideal than to have someone with the ability to go and shoe those horses for cheap or free and to help out the ministry that way? But also, farrier was a job I could do on my own time and continue to do ministry. It could be flexible. And mm-hmm. so what I started looking for was how can I develop a lifestyle where I can still make a living and yet not be a financial drain on the ministries I'm working with? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. I, I really like what you say there about not separating the worlds of a profession and a ministry. Why Why do we see so often gravitate towards thinking that those are two different things? Yeah, and in, in Scripture, they're not. Right. You know, Paul, mm-hmm. was, a, Paul was a tent maker. Mm-hmm. And in Scripture, you know, a lot of those guys were fishermen. Um, and I'm not at all against full-time mission work, but I think we just need to be careful that it's not either or. Yes, yeah, I think you're right for sure. You had mentioned to me that at some point you and your wife moved to High Prairie. First things, I guess you met your wife somewhere along the along the way there. <laughs> no, no, no. We just got married one day. Met her at a truck stop and <laughs> yeah. got married. No, yes, yes, yes. We met her. Yes. Okay. We'd actually yeah. we knew the family for years. Steph's family, the Vervloot family, knew them for years. And Steph and I. We knew who each other were, but we weren't, you know, best friends or anything, you know, gotcha. through teen years or anything. But we knew the family's actually her uncle is one of my best friends. And uh, he 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 really wanted to have me as a relative. So he has several nieces and he was just kind of, you know, just pushing them in front of me, you know, and thinking, well, yeah. if I pick you up on the bus, should I bring these nieces or this niece or that niece? You know, it's like so he was he was working hard in the background all the time to to try to get me related to the family somehow. <laughs> Um, he succeeded too. Well, yeah, but not not through any fault of his own. But no, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, if he listens to this, I can't I can't let him have too much credit for that. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, and so that around that Christmas time before I went down to Oklahoma State Horseshoeing School, I actually called up Steph's dad and, and say, hey, you know, I'd like to get to know Stephanie better. And and he says, meet me in Tim Hortons for coffee. Oh. <laughs> uh, so he met me in Tim Hortons for coffee, and and we talked about stuff, and he had some. Uh, you know, personal grilling questions as a good dad should. Yeah. Because he knew our family too. So it wasn't like he didn't know who I was coming out of the woodwork, you know, like right. he worked for her uncle. So my best friend, he employed him and they were on the job site together all day. Oh, okay. So the family connections knew me quite well. And anything that he would want to find out about me, he would have easily been able to ask Justin yeah. and Justin would know. <laughs> so, yeah. So then we went on a date and first first official date. And, and uh, <laughs> I always tell young people, you know, get the hard questions out of the way first, but don't do what I did. Oh. We got all the hard questions out of the way first, I think, on the first date. We went through everything. <laughs> oh, wow. And it was, you know, everybody thinks, oh, the first date should be romantic and just hold hands and walk off into the sunset. No, it was about minus 28 and blowing wind outside. And we had lunch at Quiznos Sub, 
in Red Deer. So not terribly most romantic location and setting. <laughs> but we talked about everything from Bible versions to, to dress codes to number of kids to life goals to homeschooling to life philosophy and life direction and everything on that one date. Wow. And I don't know if I recommend doing that <laughs> to other young people, uh, but that's that's what it was. And it was kind of like I knew that if I went out with Stephanie, and this might sound a little odd, but I knew that if I went out with Stephanie, that we were going to get along. And unless something really weird happened, that we were going to get married. And I thought to myself, you know something? Let's just get all this stuff out in the open right away. Mm-hmm. So she knows where I'm coming from. I'm not getting surprised. She's not getting surprised. And if there's red flags that pop up right off the bat, we don't have all this emotional stuff that heartbreak and everything else that has to carry on. We'll know right away if the important things that matter, faith with God, walk with God, you know, life goals, all that kind of stuff lines up. If it doesn't, we can shake hands and say bye. Thanks for the nice, nice day and carry on. Mm-hmm. And if it does line up, which I kind of knew it was going to, then, you know, we're free and clear to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. And so away things went and yeah, we got married the following September 2011. Oh, that's super cool. I really like that. Yeah. Uh, you guys eventually end up in High Prairie. Is it much of a road yep. to High Prairie, or, or what did that not, look like? Not really. I can get you there real quick. Just head north to Red Deer on the highway, Highway 2 <laughs> up to Edmonton. No. Um, so so essentially, we were living down near Olds. So Steph's family was oh. from the kind of Red Deer Torrington area. Okay. We were living there, and I was driving a truck for UFA and doing farrier work, and we were looking at land because we were renting at the time, and it's like, you know something around Olds here and stuff? I mean, we're looking at 500000 800000 million bucks for a decent piece of land. Mm-hmm. I just can't, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And so Steph's grandpa had actually bought a quarter section up near High Prairie for $75,000. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, and the taxes were what? 30 bucks a year or something. And I thought, well, this is a little bit more my style. <laughs> yeah. And so we prayed about it all winter long. And the next spring, we're like, you know something? Let's just look around High Prairie, see what's, see what's happening. So we go up there, go fishing up there and, and look around some land. And, and lo and behold, there's these two quarters of land for sale. And, you know, they're both under 100,000 bucks. Wow. And we like the Northwest quarter. So we were interested in that one. And so we find the realtor. She's, yeah, she said, uh, it's not really on the market yet, but are you interested? I said, yeah, we'd be interested. I says, you know, and we were praying about it. It's like, well, we're going to put an offer in and it's lower than the asking price. And if they accept it, great. If not, then God's moving us on somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, they accepted the offer and it was a lower offer. The realtor said, I don't really know why they accepted it because someone else just put an offer in before you and it was higher. Wow. She said, so for some reason, they're taking your offer, even though someone else offered more. She says, whatever, it's their land, they can sell it. But she says, you got it, even though someone else before you offered more. Wow. And we'd never met them. They didn't know us from a hole in the wall or anything. There was no friend ties, no family ties, no nothing. Crazy. And so that's where we became pretty clear that this is where we're supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. Not only did God leave a door open, he kind of like pushed you through the door. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pretty, pretty much, pretty much. It's like, okay, guys, whether or not you want to go to High Prairie, hint, hint, hint yeah, yeah. you know, they accepted your low offer. What are you going to do, back out now? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, so we came up here and, and friends and family got together and we put a house together and started attending church. And, and then, yeah, then, then the Bible camp kind of came into the scene. Okay. So there was a church community there for you guys? There was. There, There is. There was. It was High Prairie, without going into a lot of detail, High Prairie 
is a very spiritual place, but High Prairie is not a very Christian place, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of spiritual darkness in High Prairie. We didn't understand that when we came up. We understand it a whole lot better now, what's Mm -hmm. what's going on. So yes, there is a church community. It's not very big, but there is a church community here. Okay. So how did it come about that you guys put together the High Prairie Wilderness Camp then? Yeah, so I'll I'll try to not make that too. That that could be a story of an hour itself. But no, I'll, I'll keep it short. I'll keep it short, Kurt. I'll keep it short. Well, no, no worries. The beautiful thing about podcasts is we've got all the time in the world. <laughs> <laughs> You're poor listeners. No, 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 no. So I'd worked at camp say at Segatawa Trail Rides, which was part of the Segatawa Christian Camping Association. When we were talking a while ago, that was kind of the first horse camp or wilderness camp I'd worked at mm-hmm. in 2006. Then again in 08 and 09. In 09, I actually worked for the director there. He he was a farmer, a rancher, uh, <laughs> rancher farmer. Yeah, yeah. So so mixed operation, right? <laughs> yeah. And so I'd worked for him in the summer before going to camp. So we got to know him pretty good. And we had these conversations about, you know, hey, you know, just kind of dreaming, like starting a different camp, you know, somewhere else, just branching off and broadening the ministry and stuff. Mm-hmm. And nothing had really happened back then. I was still going through Bible school and stuff. But when we moved to High Prairie, he kind of brought it up again and, we looked around, and the closest Bible camp would have been Sturgeon Lake Bible Camp in between Valley View and DeBolt, so a good probably hour and a half away. Mm-hmm, uh, okay. Not a horse camp, not a wilderness camp, you know, cabins, they have running water, dining hall, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So more more typical like residential camp, summer camp type thing, you know. Yeah. But we noticed that High Prairie had a lot of kids and stuff. They had a bit of a horse community. We knew from just research and being involved in camp that horse camp, wilderness camp, is a very popular summer camp option. Peace Country mm-hmm. Wilderness Camps out of Grand Prairie, they get kids from all across Canada, Vancouver, Ontario, everything. Oh, wow. Uh, there's a lot of summers when, like, if their registration opens, they moved it to opening online at 12 a.m. And a lot of years for a lot of their camps, by 12.05 a.m., their camps were booked. Wow. wow. Sometimes their servers would crash. So we knew that there was a lot of interest in horse wilderness camp. Mm-hmm. So Stacy Esau from Segatawa Trail Rides was like, well, what if we helped you get going as a Segatawa mission, like Segatawa Society? Mm-hmm. And so we went over Dawson Creek. We had a meeting there, a dinner meeting, and, and talked with their executive board and the people in charge. And they had a vote and stuff later on. They let us know, yeah, we would like to support you in starting a new camp. Can you scout out a location? And it was set up so that they weren't running us, they were directing us. So I had to be a local director, I had to find my own staff, we needed to do our own fundraising, we had to find our own location. First Mm -hmm. year, we were going to borrow all their kitchen stuff and all their horse stuff, because they ran in the month of July, so we were going to start out running in the month of August. Okay. And so we were able to borrow their horses and tack and saddles and and kitchen stuff and everything. So uh, a local farmer here was very excited to have a camp on his land because i guess his dad had allowed a wilderness camp to host on his land when he was a kid in northern saskatchewan no kidding and so he says man i'd love to be able to have this camp on my land and so he actually is was in an ideal location it's about a two mile trail back into the bush and then because it's grazing lease we're on the edge of his grazing lease we're on his private land but it borders his grazing lease all up and down the little smoky river valley so a lot of just beautiful riding country with hills and ups and downs and down by the river and wow. you know great lunch spots and stuff yeah. so it was 
God sent this ideal place. It's like, he's not going to charge you anything. He says, you can just set up the camp there, you know, just let me know what you kind of need to do and stuff and, and we'll, we'll get it in there. So wow. in uh, June of 2016, he started putting up tack sheds and a cook shack and setting up the outdoor kitchen. Brother-in-law, Jesse came up and in one day we built like eight picnic tables and like 10 chapel benches. Oh, wow. Uh, just, just, <laughs> just pounded them out to about midnight you know, and, and Justin, Justin Stewart, my friend came up and, and some of Steph's family and relatives and stuff came up and, and Justin Stewart, of course, runs a construction company. So throwing up some tax sheds was no big deal for them. Wow. Yeah. And so these guys came in, just swarmed over the place. And then in a weekend or two weekends, we had a cook shack, like food storage area set up and tax sheds built. And we put in a corral. We had our teepee poles set up because we all live in canvas teepees. All the all the campers live in canvas teepees in the during camp. Okay. And then yeah, come come end of July, along with the staff came the pouring rain. So we finished setting up camp in the pouring rain. Oh yeah. And away <laughs> we went. We did two two seven day camps with fifteen or sixteen campers each that first summer. Oh wow! So was it hard to get kids to come or or no? They were they were readily available to come, hey? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. We had one kid that signed up for both camps. Oh wow. <laughs> oh yeah. No. We'd started a Facebook page, so okay. we started using the social media thing. We'd printed some brochures, put them around town, talked about it in, in the two two or three of the smaller churches. I don't, I don't know if it was that year or the next year, but it was either 2016 or 2017. Actually, our local radio station would have me in to do little little advertisements for it, just free advertisements, uh, coming in and talk yeah. about the camp right on the radio station. But yeah, cool. no, the first summer, we, we planned for about 15 kids. Mm-hmm. We wanted to keep it small. We were just starting out with the location. We were all learning the trails, learning how this was going to work at this new site, brand new site, just, you know, just cooking over a couple of the, you know, the kitchen fire was over a couple of old uh, big wheel rims, you know, with gratings on top was how we cooked our food. Oh, and, yeah. And, you know, outdoor wash up, you know, on laundry tubs in a row. So you have your rinse and your wash and your bleach. Oh, yeah. You know, so still trying to do stuff food safe. It's still a public facility, wilderness facility. So the rules are a bit different. So we had everything set up as much as we could for food safe. And mm-hmm. so we wanted to stick with 15 kids and we had staff come in. A couple of local staff, but then others from, you know, some of Steph's relatives, you know, her brother. And actually, my younger brother, Leaf, was the speaker that summer for both camps. Okay. And he was only, I don't know, 18 or something at the time. Oh, wow. He would sit on his horse right there in the middle of actually right where, where Miles was speaking this summer, right? He would sit on his horse beside the fire and just preach right from the back of his horse. Oh, cool. <laughs> so pretty humble beginnings, pretty rustic beginnings. We uh, are, I think it was the first morning we were supposed to do chapel. We realized we hadn't thought of a backdrop for our projector. And it was one of those projectors where you have the, the transparency projectors. So you actually have the printed sheet that you put on it. And you have to adjust the light and right. you know, adjust it to make it zoom in or zoom out and get clear or further away or whatever, you know, or right. wipe the dust off it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We realized we didn't have a screen. So we grabbed a sheet of plywood and took a piece of white plastic that was there wrapped around the sheet around the sheet of plywood, leaning the plywood against a little spruce tree. And that was our projector screen. So yeah, I mean, it, it works. It worked. <laughs> yeah. And the kids loved it. And they sang camp songs and they went back home. We heard from parents later. I haven't heard the song awesome god since i was a kid that went to camp my kid won't stop singing it and then i found myself singing it and i'm like there you go (laughs) right on (laughs) so that's Hmm. that's kind of how it got started was some local people got together under the the blessing and guidance of the sega society christian camping society and 
Yeah. And uh, away I, I, we went. I love how this story seems so, it's like, well, this is what we're called to do. We're going to do this to make it happen. It's very, seems very practical and down to earth, whereas sometimes you think it's like, oh, okay, so we got to start this camp. Okay, so we got to, hmm, well, let's raise some funds and... Uh, Oh boy! Well, let's uh, assemble this board, and <laughs> you know what I mean, like yeah, all the red tape of it all. But which I, I'm sure there is uh, all that stuff. But a lot of it was absorbed by the society, though, because they were already running two other camps. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. So there was a lot of experience there behind us, which mm-hmm. essentially superpowered the camp so that it could get going very, very quickly. They took care of all that red tape for us, camp insurance, all that kind of stuff was all right. just, boom, here you go, Aaron. Your job is just get the camp going. Nice. When it came to funds, this was the tricky part, is we didn't have any money to start the camp. Like, Steffi and I didn't have any money. I had a credit card. <laughs> uh, and so we just were like, okay, we're just going to order this stuff from Home Hardware. Home Hardware gave us a good deal. They heard what we were doing. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll give you 20% off the lumber and stuff. Oh, wow. you know? yeah. And that was pre-COVID prices, right? So right, 20% yeah. off that was actually <laughs> worth something, like, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so we did that. And it was interesting. One of the girls that came, Andrea Logie, who I can't imagine the camp without her now. After camp, she said, you know, Aaron, what are you doing for funds? I said, well, you know something? I guess we're waiting to see what God's going to do because I don't know. Right now, <laughs> we're just paying for camp out of pocket. Segatawa Trail Rides said that they, at the end of the summer, they'd see where we were at and they would cover our startup costs, but we had to make sure to raise money somehow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really want to borrow from them. And so I got this credit card and a few people donated money and stuff. And she said, well, Aaron, I'd like to do a fundraiser. I was like, oh boy, I don't know how, like, I have no idea. It's like, Andrea says, I have no idea how to do a fundraiser. She says, let me do it. I was like, oh, man, like, we only know you just from two weeks at camp and stuff. Like, I don't, <laughs> like it takes me a while to build trust in people. But mm-hmm. and so I said, OK, well, you know, yeah, sure. Let's let's do this pie auction thing. OK, let's do this pie auction. So she's like, OK, well, let's get an entertainer. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is getting big real fast. Yeah. Um, now I hear these ideas. I'm like, oh, yeah, what do we need to do to get, you know, 500, 1,000 people? Let's bring in a band from over here. You know? So now as I'm a little more accustomed to what we need to do. But back then it was like, ooh, like, and so, <laughs> yeah. so we actually called Ben Crane from Central Alberta. He's a, a Christian cowboy musician and artist and just a lot of fun. Hmm. So she called him up. He says, yeah, yeah, I could come up about $2,000 and, and I'll, I'll put on a real good show for you guys. My daughter will come and, and we'll do a real good show and, and uh, we'll only charge you 2000 bucks to drive up as long as someone can give us a place to stay. You know, we'll drive seven or eight hours or whatever it is to come up there and we'll put on a show and bring all the equipment and do everything for only wow. a couple grand, you know, and nice. I thought that's that's pretty good. Thank you, Ben. Yeah. And so he came up, we set it up in the Legion Hall here. I think we had like 150 people show up, a lot of them not Christian at all. Hmm. But what happened in the community, Kurt, and this is what is really different about Hyper Wilderness Camp. And once we understood what was happening, we actually grasped it and then drove it this way, was that the community, including the non-Christian community, was so excited to have something like this for the kids in their community Hmm. that they were not against it being Christian and they would come out to support a Christian camp. The cross is part of our logo. Like they can't get away from the fact it's Christian. It says Mm -hmm. it right everywhere. And a lot of Christians showed up, but a lot of the non-Christian community showed up to support the camp. Nice. And so we ran this fundraiser. Kurt, have you ever tasted a $3,000 pie? (laughs) No, I have not. (laughs) 
So this guy volunteered his live auction services, so real live auctioneer. Okay, yeah. And he auctioned off these pies that people had donated. And one of the pies went for $3,000. Oh, that's awesome. $3,000. And I was standing at the back. I had never seen anything like this, Mm -hmm. Kurt. Mm -hmm. And this little Legion Hall busting at the seams in High Prairie, 150 people or whatever it was, sitting shoulder to shoulder, Mm -hmm. yelling out bids for probably 45 minutes on these pies. Wow. And that auctioneer milked them for all they were worth, and they were more than happy to be milked for all they were worth. <laughs> yeah. So by the end of the auction, and with the donations, I was out at, at work one day, and I got a call from the base camp, and, and the director at the time said, well, Aaron, he said, how are you guys doing for finances? I said, Honestly, I don't know. I says, you know, we're just doing what we can. We did a we did a fundraiser, and, and we raised, I don't know what we raised, like $16,000 that night. And wow. I said, you know, I think all the camp costs have been covered. He says, Aaron, no. He says, no. He says, you guys have over $40,000 that have come in to put your get your camp going. Wow. <laughs> and wow. I couldn't believe it, Kurt, because mm-hmm. here we are, small camp. I don't really know what I'm doing, but we know that we're supposed to start this camp. And mm-hmm. we stepped out with no money to start it. We're like, no, we're supposed to start this camp. God's going to make it work. Mm-hmm. And we ended up. All expenses, all startup expenses that first year were paid for with money in the bank. Wow. Oh, that's awesome. So I have a hard time now looking at an idea and saying, well, that's too big. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, if God wants it to happen, he'll just make it happen. He'll sell a few $5,000 pies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh boy! Just one more way that God not only opened the door but kind of kicked you through it. Pretty much, pretty much. Mm -hmm. So it's been a very much of a humbling journey. It's been very much of a faith journey for sure. It's been a very stretching journey, but it's it's been a fantastic introduction in a sense beyond what my childhood was. But just with me and Stephanie as our own family branching off into this ministry. My extended family is very, very involved. Like my parents and siblings and stuff are very involved in Steph's family and stuff. Hmm. But the camp has gotten to the point now that staff come from across three provinces and we're running, you know, Bible studies on Zoom throughout the hmm. winter and everything. Like it's grown way beyond those 15 kids for two seven-day camps in hmm. 2016. Yeah. Uh, can can we dive into that a little bit? I also want to get into like what a week of camp looks like, but... but Oh, yeah. On on this note of like Zoom Bible study meetings, uh, sounds like you guys are, are super intentional to keep the relationships up uh, during the off season. Yeah. So, Kurt, to be honest with you, a lot of people look at camp and they and, and I've heard a lot of negative stuff over the year about Bible camp. People have said, you know, Bible camp is worthless. It's it. You know, kids come to camp to hear the gospel. There's no follow up. There's there's nothing to support them. There's hmm. there's nothing there. It's it's just a waste of time. Like, why would you ever be involved with camp? It's just a bunch of guys and girls hanging out and flirting with each other. And, <laughs> you know, like there's a, there's a lot of these different things that you hear about Bible camp. And I saw some of it at some of the camps I worked at. You know, some and so I thought, you know, if we're going to do a camp, it's not going to be perfect. But we really we have to start the camp by being intentional. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And it has to be built on intentionality. And the very first summer, there was times already that first summer where we'd be up till one and two in the morning discussing stuff with different staff members that needed to be discussed. And I was like, you know something? We're not letting this stuff slide under the rug. If they need to talk about it and there's stuff in their life that they want to talk about, then we'll make the time to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. what happened is we began to establish a precedent 
of 50% of the ministries for the campers. And people are like, well, isn't Bible camp about the campers? Well, it is, yes. Mm-hmm. From the summer staff perspective, it's all about the campers. From mm-hmm. the director staff perspective, it's all about the staff. Mm-hmm. And so I would say easily 50% of the camp ministry is about the staff mm-hmm. and building into those staff. And so, yeah, the kids come, but you know something? I don't have all the kids' names memorized when they come to camp. And I, I might know a lot of them, mm-hmm. but you know something? I know my staff names and I've been talking to my staff and I'm watching my staff. And mm-hmm. if there's stuff that needs to be dealt with, we deal with it and, and personal life stuff. And so so my my goal through the camp has been to use it as a way to train people to understand what a lifestyle of ministry looks like and to see how did Jesus view what a lifestyle should be. And Mm -hmm. so I think it was that very first year as we started to leave camp, some of the staff were like, man, I wish we could keep having these conversations. Hmm. And I said, well, we could online. We could meet on Zoom. Well, how do we do that? I said, well, no problem. I'll go home. I'll research it. We'll set up. I'll figure out how to do it. And I'll send you all a link and we'll figure it all out. And we'll, we can meet in Zoom. Like, yeah, 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 let's do that. And so I thought, man, okay, so so what are we going to do here? And so we we kind of started going through doing some Bible studies and stuff on Zoom. And then the second year, so 2017, when God, it was it was like God was like, you know something? We're going to make this very, very clear what you're supposed to be doing here. And there was a, a young lady who came as staff. And if her family listens to this, that's, that's okay. A young lady came as staff and great Christian family. And I'm not saying that just in case they're listening, but we're actually, we're personal friends with them now. Fantastic family, fantastic parents, hearts for God. Mm -hmm. But we had this conversation with this young lady down at the river one day, and we were talking about a a certain Christian, quote unquote, Christian book that that has been pretty popular, but has some kind of dangerous teachings in it. Mm -hmm. And we're kind of slowly kind of working down through the layers here and and I noticed that she started to to tear up a little bit and, and finally I says you know I said who is Jesus I says who really is Jesus because if this is what you're waffling on or what you're not sure of do you know who Jesus actually is hmm. and she looked at me and she started to cry a little bit and she says really quietly and softly girl from Christian home I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. And I said, why don't you know? And that led to some conversations with with, uh, Stephanie and myself and this young lady. And that was kind of the start of our official, quote, unofficial, if you want to call it, mentorship side of the camp Hmm. Mm -hmm. where we talked to her parents and stuff. Hey, you know, like, can we can we be in communication with your daughter? And this is what we'd be talking about. This is how it would be done. Blah 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 blah. And and we set that up and and we started working through. I found out that she'd been struggling with suicide. She'd actually really had to work through not pulling over and ending her life on her way to come and work at camp. Oh wow! Hmm. And it was like Satan was was just trying to kick her to the curb every step of the way. He did not want her coming to camp. Mm-hmm. In the last number of years, since 2017, that girl's life has changed 180 degrees, Hmm. and she is running as fast as she can go. She's in Bible school right now. She's been able to mend a lot of relationships with her family, restore a lot of those relationships. She is on fire for God. She is passionate about other people learning who is Jesus 
mm-hmm. because she knows who Jesus is now personally. She has a relationship with him like she's never had before. Mm-hmm. She's telling other people. She's in Bible school now so that she's better equipped to work in ministry to tell other people. And when I see something like that, I'm like, this is where it's at. Mm-hmm. This is where it's at. I mean, I love taking a bad horse hoof and making it good, a broken horse hoof or a horse hoof that another farrier won't do because they don't know what to do with it. I'm like, okay, I, I love taking that challenge on and fixing that. But that type of thrill of saying, hey, your horse is no longer lame. We fixed the issue and the bone is back in place or whatever the case is. That thrill with that is nothing compared mm-hmm. To seeing a young person go from, I think I need to end it all because it hurts too much, mm-hmm. to saying, you know something, I just want everybody else to know what I found and to know who this Jesus is that I found. Mm-hmm. That is what life is made of, Kurt. That is what drives the entire camp and ministry vision, is mm-hmm. when you see that and you see someone's life turned around and they realize that God has the answers and that he has the only logical answers, that he has a purpose, that he has a plan. We've been doing a Bible study. I'm going to start preaching. I better quit here. But uh, (laughs) we've been doing a Bible study this last fall with the staff on who is Jesus. And now we're into who is God. And we look at one of the themes in Scripture is that God is a God of restoration right from beginning to end. Hmm. He is always initiating to reach out to people for relationships right from Genesis. When God comes down in the cool of the evening to walk with Adam and Eve, God is reaching out to initiate relationship. And when the people mess it up, what does he do? He reaches out and he initiates a way for them to be saved by sending, first of all, through the sacrifices and then by sending his son. And then if you read through the Old Testament prophets, it's like, I will return you to land. I will draw you together. I will remember your sin no more. And I will forgive you. And I will restore, you know, and the, mm-hmm. you know, and all this kind of stuff. It's like, I will do this and this and this and this and this. And it's God working in restoration from start to finish and initiating those relationships at his own expense. I mean, he sent his son to die. That's, mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a, that's, that's a, that's a top line deal, Kurt. Like that's pretty expensive. Yeah. He sent his son to die so that he could initiate a way for people to be forgiven, to have a relationship with him for their sins to be forgiven, for them to be able to spend eternity with him but not just eternity with him, but to be able to live in relationship with here on earth. And when we see staff start to grasp that and their life starts to change because of it, that's where it's at. Mm-hmm. Nothing replaces that. Mm-hmm. It's uh, a little bit more than just making sure the kids have a good time and sing a few songs about Jesus, hey? <laughs> that's the surface. That's just, that is just the surface. Mm-hmm. That is just the surface in my mind of camp ministry. Mm-hmm. Yes, mm-hmm. we want them to hear the gospel. Yes, we want, we pick songs on purpose that they will remember. And we make sure not to have a huge song selection because we want those songs so far into their head at the end of camp that they go home and the, the, the default song is not some dirty song that they heard on the radio. The default song they can't stop singing is, how great is our God or God is an awesome God or love the Lord, your God with all your heart or something where they're actually end up preaching inadvertently to their family. Right. Yeah. And we, this last, this last summer we had three kids baptized in the river. They asked on their own initiative, can I be baptized? One guy gave his heart to Christ. The other two were already Christians. They're like, you know something we want to be baptized because we want to declare that we want to follow Jesus Christ. And so we sat them down, we grilled them about their faith. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Why do you believe this? Like, we made sure this is not a smoke blowing sloped pathway down to the altar, you know, ushers kind of helping them trip and roll (laughs) down there to get them there. You know, there's no, nobody's waving a hundred dollar bill at the end. First one to come and get baptized gets a hundred dollar bill. You know, these are kids (laughs) out in, in the bush who are saying, based on what we've heard, 
we want to be baptized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we conducted three baptisms down on the river by camp there. And that's, that's life changing. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there is a lot to camp. I can get carried away preaching about camp, but it's not, it's not just camp Kurt. We're mm-hmm. okay. So there's nothing like shutting off your cell phones and getting out in the wilderness. I mean, some of these kids, they go out in the playing field and they sleep under the stars for, you know, a night out instead of sleeping in their teepee. I'm like a lot of kids sleeping in a teepee with a wood stove is pretty rustic. Once they're there for a few nights, that gets old hat and too comfortable. So they all move their sleeping bags out into the middle of the playing field and yeah. decide they're going to sleep under the stars, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the mosquitoes love it. But, yeah. uh, you know, so it is not just about the kids having a safe time. We have to do that. We have health and safety is huge at camp. We can't afford mm-hmm. having kids get hurt. But mm-hmm. I tell you one thing. One of the fundamental decision-driving factors in our camp committee and on our daily activities in our staff meetings in the morning, that's always going to be at the forefront. How does this going to help facilitate sharing the gospel and having conversations with the kids? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We start our staff training every year with the session, what is the heart of camp? And it's based mm-hmm. off the Great Commission. So we'll spend an hour talking about what is the heart of camp. It's not about finding a girlfriend or a boyfriend. It's not about having fun. It's not about the horses as much as we love riding horses. It's not about being the cool person on the staff team or whatever the case is. It is about sharing the gospel with the kids. That Mm -hmm. is what camp is about. So every decision we make has to be looked through the grid. Is this going to keep them safe? And is it going to facilitate having conversations about Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's, so I guess we got sidetracked from the Bible studies on Zoom. I'll, I'll quickly go back to that and then you can jump in. Um, well, well, see, see, <laughs> I just love this heart of discipleship that, that's woven throughout it all. I think far too often camp becomes about, you know, like, yeah, the kids had so much fun and, and like, it's a great week. Oh, oh yeah. And, and they had devotions in chapel. <laughs> you know, you know, it, it seems a little bit backwards yeah. so often. Oh yeah. So, camp is a bad week. If you're not having devotions in chapel, I, I tell people all the time, we don't do camp for fun. I says, if it wasn't for the devotions and the discipleship and the gospel, I says, I wouldn't do camp. It's way too much work. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. The amount of work it takes from the family and family time away and everything like that to, to run these camps. Most people don't clue in until they actually get there and like, oh, <laughs> huh. I would never run camp if it was just for fun. Right. Yeah. And that's also focusing when the staff hear that. It's like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like the, he's 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 actually serious. He wasn't laughing, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> so mm. the thing with the Bible studies came out of things like that conversation with that young lady, where it's like, okay, guys, I think it was the next evening. I said, okay, staff, those of you who can leave your teepees. I need you to come to the fire. We're going to go through who is Jesus, mm. and it left the feeling that we want to do this more. And so that mm. started the tradition from that winter, to kind of 2016, a little bit, and then that 2017, 18. 19, you know, hundreds of hours of Bible study. And it's not, I, I guess I feel like by the time they're 16, they, they need to know, start learning their Bibles. So we've actually done a lot with Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, where we've actually gone through what is the theological difference and why does it matter that Jesus is both fully man and fully God? Hmm. Where does it show that in scripture and why does it matter to your daily life, your relationship with him and how you share him with others? You know, mm-hmm. what about spiritual gifts? What about who Jesus is as a person and in his character? And how should that make you seek to change your life to be more like him? And why does it matter? Mm-hmm. And so we get into stuff that's not just, well, you know, you should be nice. Right, yeah. 
you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm like, there's nothing wrong with teaching three and five year olds that they should be nice because Jesus was nice. You know, Jesus was kind, therefore be kind. There's nothing wrong with that. But by the time these kids are dealing with kids in the teepees who we had a 14 year old guy come into camp who was 14. He tried to commit suicide like 10 times by the time he was 14. Oh, wow. So you take the average 18 year old teepee leader. What in the world is he going to say to this kid? Yeah, right. They mm-hmm. need to know the scripture. They need to know the heart of Christ. Why did Christ come to earth? What's the heart of the father? Read the prodigal son. You see the heart of the father. So often we see the prodigal son story is a good Sunday school story. No, no, no. If we stop and actually understand the culture, what was going on at that time, that only happens if you're going to stop and study it. And you see the mm-hmm. culture, what's going on at the time, and you see the heart of the father for the son coming back. He runs to greet the son. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the son had done everything to shame him and to dishonor him in that culture. And yet we see the father representing God, the father running to meet the son. And so as we take these, the young staff through these different studies, part of it obviously is to equip them to be better staff at camp. So I'm in a sense (laughs) helping out my own staff team. But (laughs) the other sense is that they have real questions. And now there's the LGBTQ questions coming up. It's like, how do you, answer that biblically and lovingly Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they need to know and i i would hazard a guess kurt that a lot of you know we take junior staff on at 16 and if they make it through 16 and 17 and we see that they're serious about their walk with god and that they're moving in that direction on their own initiative then we take them back as senior staff when they're 18 oh yeah and and if not then then you know they they need to show some evidence of of following god in their life if they're going to come back as senior staff and so to take these young people and walk them through that training throughout the year. Every It's every week. We used to do it two hours, every Monday night for two hours. Hmm. But to see their spiritual maturity growing as they wrestle through these deeper biblical topics that a lot of them would never touch unless they went to Bible school. Right, yeah. And, and Kurt, if you spend a lot of time in the Word of God, one of two things is going to happen. You aren't going to sit on the fence. You're either going yeah. to harden your heart and turn away from it, or you're going to turn into it and it's going to change your life. Yeah. You will never sit neutral if you're spending intense amount of times in the Word of God. And so we see the staff, as they soften their hearts to the Word of God, they turn into it. And it shows up at camp with staff that are spiritually mature and stable. Yeah, they still have get goofy and have fun and dunk each other in the water barrels and blah, 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 right. blah, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, how'd so-and-so's saddle get undone and put on backwards or whatever the case is, right? <laughs> like, you know, like they yeah. still have fun. These are normal. These are normal young people having fun. But when push comes to shove... There's that spiritual growth there that they're able to pass on to the campers and say, mm-hmm. hey, let's have a talk about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyways, I should, I should stop there. I, I love talking about camp, and I love talking about what God is doing through the camp and the Bible studies and the staff. And there, we have a, a signal group where each year we make a new signal group. And so the staff from that year are able to be part of this year's signal group. So right now it's High Prairie Wilderness Camp Staff 2021 signal group. And then next year, at the end of August, we'll have the Staff 2022. So that the staff that work together throughout the year can be part of this signal group. Mm-hmm. And they chat back and forth. We share Bible insights, prayer requests, stuff like that. They see each other you know, every Monday night at Bible study. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it is very intentional. But what we're seeing is that in the last four years— we now have seven of our staff. We don't have a huge staff team. We're seeing seven of our staff either attending Bible school mm-hmm. or planning to attend Bible school. Mm-hmm. That is potentially half of our staff group on any given camp. 
they're they're taking it seriously. They're they're, they're wanting ta- to they're, go deeper. Exactly, and that yeah. that just tickles little camp director's heart. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. That yeah, that's so encouraging to to hear that you guys are just like pouring into the staff like that. And and um, w- w- would you be able to? dive into what a week of camp looks like and that whole side of things yeah for sure so so the camps max out at 25 campers and we have a high staff to camp ratio so when the kids come into camp there's staff there to greet them and stuff so the kids are are split up into teepees so anywhere from four to seven kids per teepee the teepees are 22 foot diameter teepees with the wood stove in the center okay each teepee has two leaders so there'll be each girl teepee has two two female staff and each guy teepee is has two male staff mm-hmm. we have our kitchen staff we have a wrangler so their job is is working with the horses and, and making sure they're taken care of so first day they come into camp about two o'clock in the afternoon they get kind of settled in they're greeted by their staff and and everything and then they they gather for games uh, in our chapel area, so a lot of shoulder-to-shoulder kind of bench games, getting to know each other names, mm-hmm. kind of pushing into getting them to work together in, in TP groups in some of the games and just really breaking that ice as fast and quickly as possible. Yeah. We have a program director who's there, been here every summer since our first summer. His, his name is Nathan Thompson, and he is a fantastic program director We've had other other ones as well. He's been the most consistent, and some of the others have done a fantastic job as well. But he's he's there every summer. He does it for at least one camp, hmm. and so he works towards getting those that ice broken as quickly as possible. Right from from games, they'll go to horsemanship. So then they head over to the tack sheds and get trained in how to saddle and brush and get on and get off and turn and start and stop and mm-hmm. and tie up their horse and everything. And then it's a lot of times on the first day we'll get them into devotions as well. We say, you know, we're, okay. we're, we're short on time here. Camp's already ticking. We're like three hours in, you know, we're running out of time. So, yeah. <laughs> so sit in the TP groups and, and have TP devotions. A lot of these kids are not church kids, may not even know what a Bible is. Okay. So mm-hmm. <laughs> crash course introduction, yeah, you yeah. know, then supper time, <laughs> we eat in a, a army surplus tent at picnic tables. So again, rustic. Mm-hmm. And then after supper chores, kids help with all the chores and TP groups, cleaning out houses, washing dishes, hauling firewood, all that kind of stuff, and then chapel in the evening. And so that would be the first day. Second day, I'll just run through, and then every day is pretty much the same. So you get up in the morning, you have chapel in the morning, so sword drills, songs, uh, find out the theme of the sword drills, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And then breakfast, chores, TP cleanup, go to the horses. We spend uh, most of the day on the horses from, well, middle of the day, I should say, probably from about... 9.30, 10.00, to getting back in camp around 3 o'clock. So we usually cook lunch out on the trail. If you're staff at High Prairie Wilderness Camp, by the end of a month of camp, you have had a lot of hot dogs and smokies on the trail for lunch. <laughs> no, and I mean, sometimes, yeah. no, there, there's not. It's just usually we don't eat very many of them again until the next summer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And don't bother reading to me their ingredients. We just eat them. <laughs> And so sometimes we'll pack bannock along and cook bannock on a stick. That's always a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so riding the horses and then we come back to camp after the ride is, is they get a snack like tuck and then devotions hmm. after devotions, field games, field game, supper, supper, chores, chores, game, and then game to chapel, hmm. chapel hmm. to teeth brush and usually some shenanigans and then off to bed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The camp revolves around three things: morning chapel, 
always happens. I don't care if the staff meeting goes half an hour late. Morning chapel always happens before breakfast. Okay. Yeah. Afternoon devotions. I don't care if we get back too late in the game and it goes from devotions to supper time. If there's no games, too bad. You mm-hmm. will have devotions. And then supper time at night. If there's no time for game after chores because I took too long washing the dishes and dilly-dallied, well, I guess we go from chores to chapel. We never skip those three points of spiritual input mm-hmm. in the day. The mm-hmm. entire camp revolves around the meals might be a little bit late, and if chapel's a little bit late, no problem. We'll just run chapel a little later. Right, yeah. We run two seven-day camps, and the seven days includes the day they come and the day they leave, okay. and then we run a 10-day camp. And actually, our 10-day camp, once they've been to a seven-day camp, most of the kids want to come to a 10-day. So the 10 days usually fill up really fast. Oh, yeah. So the 10-day thing, that's very intentional, just making sure you get that proper good time with the with the group of kids? Yeah. So what we find is with our size of group, so every group has dynamics. If you study group dynamics at all, you'll see that, you know, a group dynamic of five to 10 people, something it's kind of like if you have a really good friend or you have two really good friends, but all of a sudden you add another really good friend and it's like three friends. It's like there's one too many kind of thing, right? Until you get five friends and now you're a group. Right. Right. And right. and there's just a lot of group dynamics. So if we're running 20 to 25 campers, we find that it takes five days for the walls to come down. Hmm. By day five, day six, depending on the campers, the camp is doing what we call starting to gel. So yeah. it means the kids are, maybe there's some worse behavior issues coming out because they're feeling more comfortable with each other. But there's also a lot more conversations happening with the kids, staff about serious things, not just, you know, who has the dirtiest teeth, yeah. um, <laughs> you know. And, and so by about day five or day six is when we really start to see kids thinking about what they're hearing. Before that, they're too scared of the person in the sleeping bag next to them. They're, they don't know their, their staff very well. Maybe they're still scared of the horses. They're still missing their cell phone, you know, whatever the case is. So, so day five to six, we see the camp really start to gel. The staff tend to be gelling well. The kids are gelling. And it really, it becomes like a big family. And, and the atmosphere, you can feel the atmosphere change. Hmm. The problem with a seven-day is that if it doesn't gel till day five, which is very typical, mm-hmm. then you've only got that day six and half of day seven to really push hard to make sure they understand what they've been hearing all week. Yeah. But for younger kids, so like 12, 13, 14 years old, the seven day is, is a long enough time away from home in the bush. The 10 day, we start seeing a lot of those 14, 15, 16 year olds and they're away from home a little longer. So they still gel around day five, but now we have five more days to really have those conversations. So what'll happen, and we plan it very deliberately. So in staff meeting in the morning, we'll say, so did anybody have any conversations? And the staff will say up, pipe up and say, well, I was talking with Joe and we started talking about evidence for a creator. And then, you know, we stopped for lunch and we weren't able to, you know, ride beside each other on the way back to camp. Uh, if anybody has a chance to today to pick up that conversation with Joe, this is kind of where we got to in the conversation and kind of the direction I was trying to go with it. If you could pick up that conversation, that'd be great. And mm-hmm. so then that day, a staff member will purposely try to ride beside Joe and bring up that conversation or something to allude to it to get that conversation going again, kind of already with an idea of what Joe had talked about before. So that staff member now is prepped and prepared to take it another step further. So Joe doesn't know it, but he's become a target. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's in a, done in a very gentle 
very conversational way, mm-hmm. but out of a lot of concern that Joe doesn't just have half a conversation, but that Joe actually finds an answer to what he's asking about. Right. Yeah. And so then we have five more days to pursue those conversations. So the 10, 10 days we also see as a lot of some of the most impactful camps. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess just to sort of start drawing things to a close here, I, I had asked you uh, when we were emailing back and forth, if you had anything on your mind these days that you would like to share with the farmers or the ranchers or, or anybody, uh, what it would be. Um, do you want to dive into that a bit? Yeah, I think something that we've seen in families, so the farming ranching community tends to be very family centric, right? Kids grow up there, they work, you know, it's it's calving season. So, you know, some of the older siblings will take turns, you know, be on call to check the cows and stuff like that, right? And mm-hmm. and it's very family centric, you know, the, the mom and dad are showing up to, you know, watch the kids hockey games and, and maybe the family goes riding together, does rodeoing together. And I guess one of the things that I'm really seeing that farmers and, and ranching families, with with all due respect to the parents who are working hard and doing the best they can, to really make sure to pass on the concept that life is ministry and that a 100% focus on Jesus Christ is absolutely key to a life that's going to be honoring God. And, and honestly, when I'm talking with young people, well, I want adventure and stuff like that. There's nothing, you're going to read through the Bible, there's nothing more fulfilling and more adventuresome with more meaning and purpose than being where God wants you to be. Mm-hmm. And I see that a lot of families, just because life gets busy and things get hectic, and sometimes, you know, sometimes maybe there's five or six kids growing up in the family, it's a bigger family, maybe 10 kids growing up in the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it can be easy and think, well, you know, we read the Bible as a family, we go to church on Sunday, and that's just, it's just really, that's all we've got time for, and hopefully the kids pick up on it, you know? Well, mm. I haven't raised my own teenagers, but I feel like I've helped raise a lot of other people's. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it, it's good. I, I love it. I love talking to the young people. So I don't say that as a derogatory way, but I say right. that it's given mm. me some insight into a broader spectrum of what's happening with the young people these days. You know, some of them from some very solid, good families. And it seems that there can be a tendency for, for kids to, well, mom and dad know this and they believe this and they go to church that believes this, but somehow it misses the kids. And the kid's are like, mm. well, I had no idea this is what the Bible said about that. And if you went back and asked the parents, well, did you ever talk about this in the home? Oh, yeah, yeah, we used to talk about that. Well, mm-hmm. however it was, Betty never got it. Right. And yeah. so I would encourage the farming and ranching families, you know, a few things. Make sure to have those individual conversations with your kids. If, if you're not comfortable talking about some of these topics of faith and, and that kind of thing, you're not even sure yourself, then find someone who can come alongside your family and help mentor your young people or maybe mentor you how to mentor your young people hmm. and hmm. be willing to say, hey, I don't know. Let's go find the answer together. Yeah. You know, why does God say this? Why does God do this? Why did Jesus say that? Why is communion a big deal? Why is baptism a big deal? Why is God the only way to heaven? Why, you know, why do you have to have faith in Jesus Christ to get to heaven? Well, I don't, I don't know, son. It's just, I don't know. It's just, it's just what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Well, no, 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 no. Let's talk about the validity of what makes Christ and Christianity different. Mm-hmm. Why is Christianity unique? Well, I don't, I don't really know how to explain that to my son. Hey, no problem. Find someone who can and enjoys talking to young people will maybe help 
teach you about it. So you can teach your son or daughter or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so understand that you don't become a Christian by osmosis. You don't follow God by osmosis. It's a very intentional relationship. When we look in Deuteronomy, he says, you know, write the commands on the, on the doorpost of your house. Talk about them when you're rising, when you're going down, when you're sitting down to eat in the middle of the day. Always be talking about the precepts of God. Mm-hmm. And our lives are super busy these days. Everybody's scattered which way and, and whatever. And as kids get into their teen teen years and they have their own driver's license and they go buy their own jacked up pickup truck or their little Mustang car or yeah. if it's a girl, maybe she buys a buys a BMW. I have no idea. You know? And all of a sudden they're just going uh-huh. everywhere all the time. Well, by that time they're by the time they're that age, they're out and about and they're out and among the world. And if they're not confident in their faith, then someone who's very confident in godlessness will be more than happy to talk with them. Yeah. Yeah. So I would encourage farm and ranching families. You have a unique opportunity working together as a family in in the fa- on the family farm on the family ranch to have those conversations. Maybe while you're riding in the combine together, or riding in the grain truck together, or maybe take your son or daughter out out with you feeding cows for those couple hours Saturday morning. You're gonna roll out some bales before heading to town. Take them with you in the tractor and and talk about something that happened at youth group or situation at school or whatever the case is. And intentionally provide direction and input and advice and and show them how to go back to Scripture to find those answers for themselves. Don't necessarily have to tell them what to think, but tell them how to think and to find those answers and to search the Scriptures for themselves to find out, hey, is this is this biblical? Is this right? Is this is this reflecting Jesus' character? Should I be involved with this? Should I make this decision? Should I do this? Should I do that? And and teach mm-hmm. them how to do that intentionally not leaving it to osmosis, don't leave it to the youth pastor, don't leave it to the pastor, don't leave it to their Sunday school teacher. Take it and and take ownership of that as a parent. And you will see that your kids begin to take their faith more seriously as well. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of latching on to what you said about don't give yourself excuses to put it off um, because eventually they'll have no time for you and and, and they'll, they'll yeah. meet someone who will tell them. Because I think that's a trap I fall into. We have um, three boys and a girl and our oldest is nine. And one of the traps I fall into is like, well, I, I could dive into this topic with him, but I'm not sure if he's quite ready for it. Da, 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 da. But I think I'm kidding myself because I think before I know it, he'll have his license and he'll have his group of yep. friends and he'll be off doing this and he'll have a job and he'll do this and and I might be too yep. late, you know? <laughs> well, and and I don't know if I'd use the term too late because I mean, it's always, there's always time for growing God working. I mean, ultimately it's a work of God, right? So I'm not telling parents, you know, go and stress out and be worried and, and concerned, but I'm also, I guess, encouraging them to, and this is encouragement as much to myself, you know, like I have, my oldest son is six, but even so, it's conversations about what is right, what is wrong. Well, who says? Well, God says, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and, and what do we do with sin? And, and son, what, you know, have, how do we pray? What do we pray for? Like, how do you pray? And at six years old, those brains are not dumb. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. And, you know, by nine years old, there's a lot of stuff that they can take on. And, and the interesting thing is, is the world knows it and feeds it to them through the movies and the games and the school mm-hmm. system all the time. They mm-hmm. know those kids can pick this stuff up. And yet, I'm like you in a sense, well, I'll teach it to him when he's 15. <laughs> you, <laughs> yeah. start, you, start studying, you start studying young people education. By the time a person's 15... They've already got their worldview figured out. Now it's not so much as teaching a white slate. Now you actually have to go and undo stuff yeah. if you're going to teach them. 
because they've already got it. You know, you can take a a nine-year-old out with you in the tractor and you can talk about evidence for creation, why it only makes sense there's a God and, and stuff like that. And all those little pieces start to fit together to create their worldview. Right. Yeah. And I think, I think the last term I would use is don't let a good family culture get in the way of fostering a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Mm, mm -hmm. I've seen it a lot where a lot of faith is placed in a good family culture. Well, our kids are all just good kids and they work hard and they get good grades and they're in sports Mm -hmm. and they're respectful to grandma and grandpa and they're, they're just good kids. That does not mean that they have a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. Right. And, and I guess, you know, I've seen that in some of the farming community because there's a lot of good kids in the farming communities and a lot of good families. And sometimes I've seen where that can be mistaken for, oh, they're a good Christian kid. Are they a good kid or are they a Christ follower? Right. Yeah. Because it can look similar in a lot of ways, but they yeah. can be worlds apart. Yeah. 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 Man, yeah, I guess I, I shouldn't keep you too much longer, but could you just let us know, like, if, if people are interested in checking High Prairie Wilderness Camp out on Facebook or your website and whatnot? Yeah, so we are on Facebook. Uh, just look up High Prairie Wilderness Camp in the search bar and, and it'll pop up. We're also online, www.hpwildernesscamp.ca is our website. We just have a simple website up there. I don't think we have anything updated for 2022 yet. But uh, yeah, so on Facebook, and if people come and like the page, uh, we don't have a lot happening on Facebook through the winter. Uh, we used to have a little bit more, but one of the, our young ladies' staff there was kind of taking that over. She's doing a fantastic job, but her life has really picked up pace lately. So oh, yeah. not yeah. quite as much happening on the Facebook realm, but definitely as we move more towards summer is if people have liked and followed the page, they'll be able to see you know what's going on for camp, what are the latest announcements. So right. website will have some of that, but usually things hit Facebook first. So if, if people are wondering what's going on and stuff, Facebook's a great way to get in touch with us. Okay. I'll see if I can put the links to both those things under in the show notes. And if anyone's interested, that'll be the starting point to start checking things out, hey? Yeah, cool. for sure. And I mean, I always like chatting on the phone too. If people really want to know like what is really going on at the camp there, Right. <laughs> um, a lot of times, just a good old fashioned conversation. I know everybody uses messenger now, but if, if people really want to know like details, I'm more than happy to chat on the phone and just answer their questions as detailed as, as they want. Nice. So, oh man, yeah, this is, this has been really good stuff. And I, I feel like there's probably more stuff that we could dive into, but, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I guess it depends on if your listeners will fall asleep by now or not. <laughs> no, no. Uh, who, who are we kidding? They've all got another five hours left in the tractor anyway. So they're, <laughs> <laughs> where are they going? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We've got them trapped right where we want them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's that one? The guy said, you know, picking up hitchhikers, right? Once you hit about a hundred clicks an hour down the highway, you can share the gospel or whatever you want because they aren't going to step out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Thanks Aaron for spending all this time with us and, and sharing about your life and sharing about the camp. And I think this will be really encouraging for a lot of people. So thanks for doing that. My pleasure. I, I always enjoy talking about camp. I enjoy talking about the stuff that's going on there. We have some pretty exciting stuff coming down the pipeline, 22 and 23, with some major changes happening that we don't have time to get into tonight, just with ministry growing and stuff like that. So I don't know if, if your your listeners want to take one thing away, you know, I, I would say that there's nowhere they're going to go and nothing they're going to do that's going to be more purposeful, more fulfilled, and more God-honoring than being right where he wants them to be. And if they don't know where that is, hmm. 
then find out and do it because that's that's where it's at life isn't perfect but boy i tell you what an adventure yeah oh well said yeah thanks so much aaron you're very welcome i I really enjoyed it kurt so there you have it thanks so much aaron for sharing what you did i know you gave me a lot to think about and i think it's safe to say that those listening feel the same way one thing that aaron and i weren't able to get into we ran out of time but there are some prayer requests for the camp Um, every time you think about the camp would you mind praying for them Uh, one of the things that they're up against is because of some red tape and insurance stuff they're they're having to part ways with Segatawa the the split is amicable and and they're leaving on friendly terms it's just because like I say some of the red tape and and whatnot they're having to basically start their own registered charity and so as you can probably imagine that can get a little bit messy and whatnot Uh, so there's that and pray for them for wisdom. They're looking at a couple of camp expansion opportunities. That's really exciting, but also just, yeah, pray for wisdom for that. They're also looking to continue to build up their horse herd. As you might know, horses aren't cheap. And so, yeah, just pray for the funds to be able to do that and for the right horses and and continue to pray for, for the work that God is doing through the camp and in those kids and staff lives. And yeah, So if you think of them, pray for them. And on the note of prayer requests, if you head over to farmersoffaith.org, you can follow a link to share your prayer requests with us. We have some folks here that will pray for you. I know, <laughs> I, feel, I say it every time, but I know the, the length between the episodes can get kind of insane. And that's just the way life goes at the moment. It's kind of half of it is it's just tricky to track down farmers and uh, half of it is just life gets busy. But as I always say, we really are passionate about this. We really do want to continue getting your stories out there. So if you can just have patience between the episodes, <laughs> even if it is months, uh, we, we really appreciate that. And we pray that you're blessed by what you hear today. Thanks. Thanks.